You know, welcome, Renovation Vineyard family. How are we? Is anyone here for fall, or is anyone still in denial that summer is over? Okay, you guys are here for fall. Okay, I want to pray for all of you because I'm in denial that summer is over. Yesterday, a group of friends and I went to the beach, and we were swimming in the ocean, just swimming in denial that summer is over. So anyway, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. I'm going to pray so that we can get started. So Father God, we welcome your spirit to be with your family today. God, we thank you so much for watching over us, protecting us, giving us hope that summer is coming next year. (laughs) We thank you, God, for filling us with joy and excitement for what is to come. So Lord, we pray that you would be here in a bigger way and that you would give me the gift of teaching today and that we would leave this building changed people because of your spirit, not because we have mustered up enough strength to change, but because God, you change us. So we thank you, God. We worship you and we say, amen. Have you ever wondered what makes the vineyard different from other churches? Have you ever been asked, hey, what do you guys believe over there at Renovation Vineyard? And outside of talking about Jesus and the Bible, you weren't really sure what to say? Well, my first experience of a vineyard church was seven years ago when I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was a young kid, fresh out of college, entering my first real-time job, full-time ministry, at NC State. So I was new to the area, and I was checking out other churches. So I decided to join my friend at her vineyard church. I had no idea what to expect. You see, that particular church service, Phil Strout, the National USA Vineyard Director happened to be preaching that night on all topics, hearing God's voice. Now, a little bit about me. I grew up in a conservative denomination. We did not talk about hearing God's voice. I didn't even know you could hear God's voice. So Phil's entire message was intriguing. It was captivating. It was interesting. I was glued to what he was saying the entire time. And at the end of the message, Phil started casually calling out people around the room, encouraging them, and praying for them. I had never really seen that before. And then he turned to the audience and he said, now it's your turn. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to practice listening to God's voice, and I want you to prophetically speak into their life. What does prophetically speak into their life mean? I had never heard of that word before. And so I really didn't have time to overthink it. All of a sudden, my neighbor turned to me, introduced themselves. They put their hand on my shoulder. We sat in silence, and eventually they began praying for me. And all of a sudden, I begin to experience God. I begin to experience God's love for me because either this person read my journal or God spoke to them to speak to me. 
it was a beautiful moment. And I began crying and experiencing the love of God that I had not experienced before. Of course, then it was my turn. (laughs) And I had never prayed or spoken prophetically into someone's life or had not really had the terminology to, to know what that meant. So I turned to my neighbor, I put my hand on their shoulder, I closed my eyes, and I just begged God to say anything to me for them. (laughs) And so we sat in silence for what seemed like forever and ever and ever. And I'm like, okay, God, just please, anything for this person to encourage them. A few minutes passed, and all of a sudden, this image of this outdoor scene, this field of flowers flashed in front of my mind. I was like, whoa, that was weird. My eyes are still closed, praying for this person. And and I had no idea how to deliver this type of vision to someone. And so I just simply said, hey, I saw this field of flowers. I don't know what this means. This is between you and God, right? And she started tearing up. And it's almost like I had either read her journal or God had spoken to me to speak to her. It was an incredible moment of God implanting words and visions and scripture and encouragement into people's lives and to say, hey, you are empowered to speak that into someone else's life. I mean, looking back on that evening, it had an an incredible impact in my Christian walk. It was something that I won't forget. My vineyard journey started seven years ago. I am still with the vineyard today. I'm part of the preaching team at Seacoast. I'm part of a small group. You guys are another vineyard family 20 minutes down the road. And I'm excited to stay with the vineyard and see what God has for us in this adventure. But you know what? Looking back on that evening, Phil Strout was not this like superstar national director pastor guy. He wasn't on stage just calling people out, prophesying over them, and then he closed the Bible and we left for the evening. He actually ministered to us. He encouraged us. He equipped us. And then he said, okay, you guys go do the stuff. And the people that evening were doing the stuff. And so what is the attraction of the vineyard? Many people would say it's the intimate worship. It's the openness to the spirit. It's the community. It's the message of the kingdom that I preached on a few weeks back. As holy and wonderful as those things are, for me, what captured my heart was something different. It was God's spirit being accessible by all to empower all. So this morning, I want to use our time to talk about what makes the vineyard distinct and beautiful. So I want to play a video, actually, that Phil Strout is in. He's, again, the USA National Director, and he talks about this vineyard distinctive of everyone gets to play. So let's look at the screens. One of the sayings that you'll hear all over the vineyard is everybody gets to play. And it's, be, it's become a distinctive. I mean, it's one of those things when people ask me, Phil, well, tell me something that's distinctive about the vineyard. I say, well, everybody gets to play. Well, that's a phrase that probably coined by John. I, I don't really know the origin of it, but that would be my guess, except 
that I think Jesus introduced the idea in one of his statements to the disciples because he said this to one of the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we've often uh, used that phrase like, follow me and I'll make you be fishers of men. Like, no, uh, it's just, hey, you know, come on and I'm going to teach you how to do this. But I think he's said, I, I, let, me, let me change how it's said. Uh, and it says, follow me and I will make you be fishers of men. And, in other words, we could do the same thing with everybody gets to play. So we could hear that like, hey, everyone gets to play. Or we could hear that everyone gets to play. And that's not just like permission, it's a mandate. Now here's Phil's take on this. Here's Phil's take on one of the vineyard distinctives. Everyone gets to play, play is not just an inf invitation and a cool little statement of inclusivity. It's actually a mandate that the church only operates well when everybody brings what they have to the table. And leaders have to make sure that, that we actually have systems in our churches that actually give place to that, where everyone does actually have a way to contribute to the good of the whole. So everyone gets to play is sort of used as just inclusive. I, I almost think it's a little bit of a mandate, and I like it, so I use it a lot, but I, I've often uh, got a chuckle when I, when I change the emphasis on how it is said. So it goes from inclusivity to a mandate of, yes, everyone's welcome, and everyone can play. I like it that it's a distinctive. To be honest with you, though, it's sad that it's a distinctive of the vineyard. And I'm sure that more, more, you know, broader and broader across the church, because really this is the only way the body of Christ works. I mean, that is, that is why the Lord gave apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. So that was really, that is the New Testament understanding of body life. We've just, I like it that we used a phrase, um, and made it a simple thing, but it's actually one of the profound distinctives of the vineyard. John Wimber. Do you guys know who John Wimber is? He was the spiritual father of the vineyard movement, and he believed that the church, the church should it equip its members it should equip its pastors and its laity to do the works of the kingdom, okay? So John's goal was to create opportunities for ordinary people like you and I to do extraordinary things. And he was often known to say, everyone gets to play. And this idea builds upon the evangelical concept of the priesthood of all believers, that God is accessible to all. One of my favorite stories from John Wimber's life was during one of his conferences, he invited all of the children to come up on stage, just like we did, to pray for a man who was unable to use his legs. And in front of a large audience, these kids laid hands, they prayed a simple prayer, and they watched a miraculous healing of a man who was once unable to use his legs. And then John says to the audience, he says, see, everybody gets to play, even little children. How complicated is that? And so Renovation Vineyard, how complicated is it? Everyone gets to play. It's a vineyard distinctive. That is what makes the vineyard unique and beautiful. And, and this is just another way of saying that the Holy Spirit will empower you 
to live the kind of life that Jesus did. Growing up, I played field hockey in Virginia. Are you guys, do you guys know what field hockey is? It's kind of a northern sport when I moved here. People are like, what's field hockey? (laughs) And I, in 10th grade, broke my ankle. And so I had to sit on the bench most of the season. This was back in the day when not everyone received trophies. Those were the good old days, I think. So beyond not getting a trophy that season, I was more bummed out that I couldn't participate with my team that season because of my ankle injury. Well, in the vineyard, there are no kids that don't get to play because of an injury. In the kingdom of God, no matter what your injury is, there is a place and a role for you. So doing the stuff, praying for folks, witnessing miracles and healings and teaching the Bible is not just for professional pastors. It's not just for religious folks. It's not just for the theologians. It's not just for the ridiculously good looking like my husband. Okay, It's not just for those kind of people. It's not just for those that don't have a past, and it's not just for those that feel qualified. Serving in the kingdom of God is for those that feel too old and out of the game. Serving in the kingdom of God is for those who feel too young and they can't get into the game. You know, in the vineyard movement, you will find a lot of people who walked off the street into the kingdom of God, and then after some time and training, they were commissioned to go plant a church. In a healthy vineyard, you will find a lot of participation because it is in our DNA, and we assume that we partner with God to accomplish the works of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, throughout most of church history, what gets called ministry has sadly been left to pastors and a select number of church leaders, whether it's praying for people, teaching the Bible, visiting the sick, casting out demons. Unfortunately, it has been left to pastors and a few church leaders. Because unless you were ordained or you had attended some sort of seminary, you weren't expected to do the works of Jesus. In fact, you weren't even allowed to do the works of Jesus. So this idea, this call, this mandate that everyone gets to play, well, it comes from the life of Jesus. Jesus did not surround himself with the smartest and most popular people. He surrounded himself with 12 ordinary men, most of whom were from poor and insignificant regions in Galilee. And even more controversial of Jesus' close friends were women, which the gospel authors mentioned numerous times. Check this out in Luke chapter 8, picking up in verse 1. It'll be on the screens in front of you. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. 
these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus, he had this ragtag group of disciples, businessmen, conservatives, liberals, notorious sinners, and yeah, he had some decent upstanding men, of course, but Luke, in a very uncharacteristic move for this culture, includes a list of women here in Luke chapter 8. He doesn't just name the women. He doesn't just say Mary and Joanna and Susanna. He actually describes them. I don't see the 12 men described here. In that culture, it would have been too scandalous for Jesus to include women in his inner circle like the 12 men. In fact, the scandal would have become the central focus taking it away from the main focus. And Jesus, knowing this, knowing the culture, was strategic enough to allow the women to follow him and listen to his teaching and actually participate in his ministry. How do we know this? Context is king, right? We see in Luke chapter 8 that Luke places this list at the beginning of Jesus' parable of the sower. So the audience listening to this parable were men, and it was women. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, he also spoke to the women, and he said, you are going to go out, and you are going to scatter the seeds of the kingdom. Jesus was inclusive, and Jesus used a little bit of cultural strategy. And this is one of the many reasons I love the vineyard. You have women and men, you have young and old, you have people from all ethnic groups and languages, people coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and we all together get to partner with the Holy Spirit and join God's mission of making Jesus known. And put very simply, everyone gets to play. So as Jesus taught, ordinary men, ordinary women, he wanted them to practice participating in the things of the kingdom. So we see in Luke chapter 10, right after the parable of the sower, the sending of the 72. So these ordinary people were sent out on mission, delivering the message of the kingdom. And they came back and they were amazed at what God had done in and through them. They came back and they couldn't believe that doing the stuff worked, that the sick were healed, that people were prayed for, that demons even submitted in Jesus's name. You remember that part of the passage? And how does Jesus respond to their excitement? Joy, pure joy. Jesus loves watching normal people like you and I do extraordinary things in the power of his name. And so the goal of the vineyard has always been Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To train ordinary people to do amazing things. And this has been the calling behind the vineyard movement throughout the whole world. So we want to learn to live like Jesus lived, not simply believe what Jesus believed. Are you tracking with me? We want to learn to live how our Savior walked it out. And we don't want this limited 
to the professional clergy. We believe that anyone can learn to live the life that Jesus did. So how does this play out practically? Well, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11, that you have a role, that you have a gift, and that you have a part in the body of Christ. Picking up in verse 4, it'll be on the screens. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, to a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So as Phil said, this is not just a cute statement of including people. This is a call. This is a mandate. Verse 7 says, you are given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so God means for you to find your footing in ministry, a place that God has been preparing you growing you, equipping you to do the works of the kingdom. And this is not just for a professional pastor. This is for you. Even if you feel inadequate, even if you have mistakes from your past, even if you feel too old or too young, that's okay. You see, those areas of pain in our life are like dry cracks in our ground. Some of us, we feel like we have grand canyons of pain in our life, whether it's mistakes or hurt or history. And so we feel like we're not able to participate in the works of the kingdom. And you know, if we minister out of those places of pain, We've all heard this phrase, hurt people hurt people. And so we want God to heal those areas of our life. We want God's spirit to rain down on our dry ground and fill those cracks with hope and healing and forgiveness so that we can then minister out of the healed pain so that then we can rely on God's mercy even if you feel inadequate, even if you feel too old or too young, you're not out of the game. This is a call. This is a mandate. We see in scripture that God wants to use ordinary people that say, use me, God. 
So how is heaven touching earth through you today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for using ordinary people like us. I just can't imagine it any other way. God, the world says that we need to be strong and perfect and elite, and yet we know the gospel message is an upside-down message, and we thank you for that. God, we thank you for everyone in this room who um, is, is in a different place, but we ask that they would be willing to say, use me, God. Use me, God. I know I feel like I don't have much to offer, but use me, God. And so church, I want to take one minute to, with your eyes closed, to just say, God, I don't even know, but would you use me? And let's just take a moment of silence for you to enter into prayer, asking God that question. Use us, God. Use your people. We are willing. We know that we aren't fully able. We know that we aren't equipped. But use us, God, in the power of your name. Would you send us out? Whatever that looks like for us, God, would you begin to just implant visions and images and words and scripture into my family's hearts, that you would fill them with love and encouragement and blessing, Jesus. Thank you, God. We love you so much, and we pray this in your strong and mighty name. Amen. Folks, I believe that God has a big assignment over each of your lives, a big assignment. But I also believe that God has many smaller assignments along the way as you journey towards him. And so I just wanna encourage you this coming week, look for those smaller assignments. Sometimes we get so distracted by the big grand thing that we forget that we need to become miracle hunters this week, amen? Amen, amen. thank you guys.